Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shugger. I'm joined today with Tom Miller, a local Tucson author and a bit of a Cuba expert. His latest book is entitled Cuba, Hot and Cold. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here, too. I wouldn't leave my backyard for anything. (laughs) I'm glad to be able to get out of the office, so that's good. Okay. You've been going to Cuba for more than 40 years. Well, you're pushing it. 30. Oh, okay. You've been going to Cuba for more than 30 years. (laughs) Okay, I I can accept that. Yeah, I first went in 1987 to the Havana Film Festival. Uh, Enough of the country intrigued me, and people I met there did, so I started going back pretty much regularly every year since then. Every year since then? Yes. The longest stretch I was there was... Eight months, the shortest was probably three or four days. I'm guessing you've seen a lot of changes. You would think so, but actually it hasn't changed that much. People say, oh, I want to get there before the change. They don't understand that they are the change. The change is what happens when, when enough people go there after a while. When I first went in 1987, I went there after the change. And then I noticed about... 93, 94, there was another major change. I was there after the change. There's just always a change. So the the notion that people have to race off there and, and get there before the change is, is, I think, a false one. Your first trip was for a film festival. What? Why did you choose to go there? Because in those days, going to Cuba was extremely difficult. And there were, very, there were a lot of people went illegally. But this was a legal trip. This was a trip, an organized outfit that was booking people for the film festival. So the, we had no problem getting tickets, getting getting on the charter. What happened though was the Miami airport, they simply didn't like people visiting Cuba. This is, we're talking about the mid 80s, late 80s. They didn't like people visiting Cuba. And so they put the ticketing area for the for Cuba trip as far away from the main lobby as possible. They set up our itinerary so we'd have to leave, leave Miami to fly to Havana at 2 a.m once a week. It was just very difficult. Finally, we're all ready to go on our 1987 Havana Film Festival trip. We get on the plane 225 miles from Havana to Miami. Oh, it's about a 45 minute trip. We're flying to Havana. We're circling the city and you can see the lights and everybody's very excited. Then the pilot gets on and says, we're going to have to go back to Miami. So what? He said, yeah, it's just too foggy and we can't land there. We're going to have to go back to Miami. So some people said, aha, they're trying to sabotage the American left. Other people said, well, the pilot probably knows what he's talking about. I'd rather take a chance on the pilot knows what he's talking about. So we went back and then finally we returned from Miami and got there about 12 hours beyond our usual arrival time. But it was just one minor incident of any number that they place over the over this the time that you visit the country, the time that you travel around, the time the people that you meet, the places that you go. You've turned to a page in your latest book, Cuba Hot and Cold. I have. It's about the old American cars. Everybody has this impression of old American cars there. There's two things about it that tend to that upset me about the impressions. One is that the cars are pretty terrific and people really love them. Cubans don't love old American cars. They hate them. It's just that the latest car, old American cars they can get are like 1959, 1960. So they're stuck with those. They don't love old American cars. The other thing is that um, 
The reason the old American cars are there to begin with is the embargo. It has nothing to do with you know people's love for old big chunks of old metal. The reason they're there is that there are no more trade of, of the huge amount that uh, cars would bring in exist anymore, or, or they actually it still doesn't exist. There's no there's no trade with cars. There's no trade with almost anything that used to be that is still going on. So what I did was. I, I was there with my two stepsons and their girlfriends, and they uh, decided to take a ride to, in a friend's car, a, f a freshly painted four-door 1956 Chevy Bel Air. They left four hours late, which is typical. After a couple of miles, Leonardo nonchalantly asked about oil. I don't know, Ricardo replied. I've never put any in. The Chevy peaked at about 35 miles an hour. They stopped every five miles to suck gas in and siphon and feed the engine. Famished by late afternoon, they pulled over the field and cut stalks of sugarcane to chew on. Then the most shredded of the four tires suddenly exploded, and the seven passengers roamed the nearest small town looking for a replacement. The best they could do was a tractor tire. They whittled down to size, then with borrowed equipment, soldered into place. This is typical of traveling in Cuba. Cuba is not a romantic spot to travel in. And uh, what, I, what I conclude from all this is simply that when, when people who know Cuba well sit around and talk about what's Cuba going to be like, what should you, should you invest in maritime goods, should you invest in highway construction, should you invest in hotel construction. And we decided that what you should really invest in is AutoZone and, <laughs> and the Pep Boys, people like that, O'Reilly Auto Parts. All these people, are, that's where the money really is. Old American parts for old American cars. After I was there for three or four years, I put it all down into a book called Trading with the Enemy, A Yankee Travels Through Castro's Cuba. And that sort of brought me up to date to what they call the special period, which is the euphemism for the economic freefall that the country was going through. And when when that took place, I cut it off and brought out a book just, just up to 1992. And since then, I've been going back regularly, and I realized there's been a whole new generation of, of commercial activity, of personalities, of music. So that's the new book, that's Cuba Hot and Cold. There is another book that's coming out at the same time that the UVA Press is publishing called The Panama Hat Trail. And it's a, again, that's a 30-year-old book, but it's, it's maintained a certain status of personality. So they're, they're bringing it out again, starting at the same time. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm in the backyard with Tom Miller, Tucson author, uh, most recently with Cuba Hot and Cold. He's been visiting Cuba for more than 30 years and writing about his experiences. He'll be speaking on Thursday, November 9th at the University of Arizona Special Collections. It's an evening in celebration of Tom Miller and this new release, Cuba Hot and Cold. Why do you keep going? What is it about it that pulls you back? It's the best story in the Americas. It's what goes on there has never happened elsewhere. It's never going to happen again elsewhere. They, uh, they maintain friendships with countries that no one else is friends with. They're able to get away with a lot of uh, commercial trade that places find difficult to, to move about. I suppose what appeals to me most about it is that there's a certain there's a certain integrity to the place that despite its screwed up politics and despite its um, 
commercial life, which is pretty um, difficult to maintain, there's a certain integrity to it that's maintained itself for as long as I've been going there. So that's what keeps me going back. Do you have advice for people seeking to go? Yes, ignore the U.S. laws. <laughs> Just go. There are any number of ways to go. Most of them actually legal now that the, a lot of the travel restrictions have been lifted. But advice for people to go, yeah, spend two or three days in Havana, nod your head, isn't that nice? It's like Chevy Chase vacation at the, at the lip of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> okay, let's go. That's what you do in Havana. But what I'm, what I'm recommending is that you go outside into small towns throughout the Midwest and throughout the, um, the Oriente, the eastern end of Cuba, where not, not as many tourists go, and so it makes it more, it gives it more flavor, gives it more personality. I suppose that because it is a, quote, communist country, that there's a certain dullness to it, a certain flatness to it, which cannot be further than the truth is, if anything, far more, far more lively, far more um, personality to it than, than you might find elsewhere. People, what people get wrong about it is that it is, it is a, a land of, of very tight strictures. Anyway, there are the personalities of some of the police outfits um, you'd want to stay away from. And in fact, if you are a light-skinned foreigner and a dark-skinned Cuban, frequently you will be hauled off one way or the other. I've been hauled off on that any number of times. Happens in Havana, happens elsewhere. Now, alternatively, what's great is you go to a baseball game and nobody else knows what's going on. And you'll be maybe one of 200 people out of this fantastic stadium where the, the game has started early and will end early. CDR, that's what I was thinking of, the Committee for Defense of the Revolution. These are neighborhood watch groups. And they do everything as innocent as, as um, blood drives and trash pickups to um, recording on, recording on, uh, on people who are uh, not with it. Not with it. <laughs> Tom Miller's latest book, Cuba, Hot and Cold, and uh, every page that I'm looking at is... Uh, either your own encounter, your own story, or just another another way of looking at history and maybe um, maybe deconstructing some of what we think we know and maybe also uh, reinforcing some of what we think we know. Some really great stories. Yes, one more final thing involving Muriel Hemingway, mm. who was named for a small town in Havana, in Cuba. And I was hired by a travel adventure magazine to guide her around and made arrangements for her to visit the, a church in the eastern end of the country where her father was well known, or her grandfather, excuse me, where her grandfather was well known. And I made arrangements for the actual 1954 Nobel Prize in Literature to be taken out of hiding, to be, to be presented to her, just to show it to her, what her grandfather won in 1954. And so we're in the church, there's the Padre, there's her, and there's me about 10 feet behind to work, work as interpreter in case I was needed. And the Padre pulls the Nobel Prize in literature out of a, basically out of a brown envelope, 
nothing more than that, and turns and gives it to her, and she fondles it and looks it around. Then, as if it's Sunday afternoon NFL football, she whirls around and hands it to me like I'm the halfback. And all of a sudden, after you know, 30, 40 years of being in literature, I've got the Nobel Prize in Literature. <laughs> and I, don't know, I know that I sweat profusely. I know that I was in a state of zombiehood. The light was shining through the window, stained glass window, and it was shining on me. And after all this, I don't know if I had it for five seconds or five minutes, <laughs> but the next thing I remember is Muriel Hemingway top, taps me on the shoulder and says, Okay, Tom, that's enough. <laughs> so I had, I had to give back the Nobel Prize in Literature, but for a short period of time, I won the, the highest prize awarded in the world. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you very much. Applause, please. Okay, okay. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes. We've been speaking with Tom Miller in his most hospitable backyard in Tucson. He is the author of numerous books, Uh, most recently Cuba, Hot and Cold. Thank you. Thank you.